and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wabo's most sunny work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And hey, the fan art contest that we've been talking about for a few weeks is over. So congratulations uh, to the winner who was uh, Aqua Buddha. Aquila. Aquila. I, I get them next, mixed up because they both have Aqua in their <laughs> names. Um, but yeah, a, a beautiful um, a beautiful piece of, uh, well, I don't think it was specifically Gravity Falls inspired, but definitely had that art style vibe to it. It, it uh, jumped out to me immediately as, as Gravity Falls-esque. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then the runner up was a, a packed oh entry. Oh my God. Um, I loved that. That we can't really go into in too much detail on yeah, this it's podcast. Got, it's spoilers, but it was a beautiful diorama of a very. What I found so impressive about it was it's notoriously a hard to visualize scene. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact that they chose that to make a diorama out of, and then like nailed it so thoroughly, is very impressive. Um, Absolutely. You can find all of the fan art entries and and all that stuff at our website, which is doofmedia.com, But they're all great. Um, so congratulations, everyone. Um, and let's dive into leaving a mark 4.4, shall we? Let's do it. We're now thoroughly in the Hogwarts arc of this story, as that intro music might have suggested. <laughs> um, and so we begin with uh, Avery doing some stretching and preparing to head off to the Blue Heron Institute. Yeah, I, I felt like this stretching bit, I, I felt it very strongly. Uh, I'm still recovering uh, from what I did to myself a few weeks ago. Uh, mm. So definitely, definitely took note of, of how important it stretching spoke is. to you very directly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, so uh, there's a lot to talk about here, but I just want to open with the fact that Avery was considering, in order to keep up soccer, finding a path that she could take six times a week. That's insane. Like Avery, I, I know you like soccer, but like do what do what Melissa said. Just take up jogging. Like fuck me. <laughs> Yeah, she thinks about taking up jogging, and then she thinks, I'll probably take up jogging if the school didn't have practical lessons that involved running from a horde of goblins, child-snatching fairy, or whatever. Which is great, <laughs> both because um, a horde of goblins and child-snatching fairy are two of the creatures that live in Canada, <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> um, so is this a joke or foreshadowing? I guess we'll find out. Yeah, she doesn't need to travel to get those experiences if yeah, that's exactly. really what she's after. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll probably be talking about this a lot uh, today, but there's some really fun riffing on, like, Hogwarts and, and all those sorts of young adult magic schools uh, in in these two chapters, which is, like, just always fun. But, um, yeah, I, like, I, just the fact that Avery was that dedicated to soccer that she was trying to take the paths six times a week, I was just like... I... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Like, the safest one we've seen so far was um it was called zoom town right the one at the start of this arc mm. and, and even that one it was like every time you take it it gets faster um so six times a week you're gonna go through it well before the summer i imagine <laughs> but she's gonna get better and better at it i'm sure um yeah, yeah no it's obviously a crazy idea uh. um we, we should also touch on this moment where avery's like looking at herself in the mirror and, and she gives herself like a little golden check mark of glamour for for being mm. good um like again, I'm just this this whole glamour thing. I just can't sit easy with it. She's like using it to make herself better, but just it just doesn't feel right to me, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. We don't get much glamour centric stuff uh, this chapter for Avery, which I'm not sure if is reassuring or worrying that she hasn't like had an epiphany. It's just kind of faded into the background. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, like, I want to be wrong, and she is just, like, having genuine character growth, but just, like, underpinning all of that on glamour from, like, a notoriously shifty character Mm. just sort of has me a little bit worried uh, still. Yes, I agree with that. I mean, we, yeah, (laughs) we talked about Child Snatching Fairy before, like... You know, the fact that that's her source, I mean, not exactly. She seems to be more of a Guillaume gal than a Marissa Stan, but um, considering that, you know, she's getting this from Fairy, it's always a bit of a, I don't know, just like a dark <laughs> shadow waiting to, to pounce. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, she also calls out, like, her dear aunt was is immature because mm. she's looking at herself uh with the site and so she's got like a deer face on yeah um and, and like just you know in terms of her pointing those out as she's talking about um growing and, and becoming a a better version of her um mm. I, like i was just wondering if if like the vision of each of the candidates in the site is maybe going to be something we should be tracking to represent where they're at like i'm just i'm thinking back to lucy's hair being mm. pink and that's something that, like, I, I, unless I just missed it, like, I don't feel like it, it's gone anywhere. Like, it was, it, it sort of came up and it was like, oh, that's interesting. And then it, it snuck back away uh, from our notice. And I just mm. wonder if maybe we should be tracking what each of these three looks like in their sort of spirit world forms um, and see how that's mapping to where they're at. Yeah, interesting. I, I wonder. Because, yeah, it, it, you're right that we've kind of got these, like, spirit markers for them for want of a better word right um well like i view the site as you seeing the world the way the spirits do which is essentially the the true site right is it depending on yeah like definitions of stuff but like so so like avery like it would make sense to me that if avery grew more mature she would have more mature deer antlers yeah i i can see that but again i would be reluctant to think of this as like you know, her goal shouldn't be to max out her antlers, right? Because who knows what that means. In the same terms of Verona becoming an other that we're going to touch on next chapter, like this is a marker for how far they are down a path, but that it's not its not like necessarily the goal to get to the end of that path, you know? Oh, I mean, in, in the same way that like very, very extreme bodybuilding is often not much healthier than like, you know, being a bit of a slob right like you can sort of swing too far so like obviously i'm not saying yeah you need to constantly chase those antler gains um as well like, i'm just thinking is it, am i making this up or is it a thing that like deer they they grow out their antlers and then the antlers fall off and they have to grow new ones have i just made that mm. up or is that or is that mooses or something uh look it might be a thing these are I'm all not really sure <laughs> these are all like american animals that we don't understand yeah that we don't have here um I feel like there's something in the antlers grow and then they fall off and they grow new ones like each season. So I don't know, maybe that's something she'll grow out antlers and then realize they were shitty ones and grow new ones. I don't know. Mm, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but you're right. I, I kind of just want to express, I don't know if, you know, it should be the goal to get to full antlers for Avery. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, Sheridan comes into the room as Avery is, is prepping and gives her a head up, a heads up that their dad has been told that she is gay. Yeah. Um, and we're going to have a lot to talk about there, but mm-hmm. uh, the first thing I just wanted to touch on is like it, immediately as Sheridan enters, she's just set up as the opposite of Avery. Like Avery has spent the whole chapter till this point, like stretching and, and sort of thinking and like Sheridan just enters and the term zombie mode is used. Like she's 
lazy she lies in bed and puts on like a shitty tv show like she's the complete opposite of of avery right in this instant i feel like that's important because like that makes it all the more significant to me how good sheridan is from this point Mm, yeah yeah Uh, sheridan's great right like this is great (laughs) i I love it sheridan's become one of my favorite characters now with her i guess i would call it equal opportunity grumpiness (laughs) yeah she sort of perfectly encapsulates like the sort of zero fuck acceptance like mm. you, you could almost see part of her thought process. It's like, why would I give a shit if Avery's gay? Like, how does this affect me? Yeah, um, exactly. Which is like, in an ideal world, that's how a lot of people would surely think about this sort of stuff, right? Like, it shouldn't matter in a perfect world. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, right? Like, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're not going to, we don't need to argue this. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> Sheridan's view is the right view here. Um, but just the way that she's, and it kind of reminds me of how she was viewing herself when we get that chapter after every soccer practice a while ago. Yeah. She was talking about how she kind of had seen it as her role as the big sister to kind of be a bit shitty to help prep Avery for the real world. And you see these beats of Sheridan seeing like, well, and she even says, I don't want to pile onto you when I know you've got shit going on, which is like an interesting <laughs> approach. Um because it kind of suggests that Sheridan just thinks that everybody should have a little bit of shit to deal with. But if Avery's already got her quota filled, then I'm not going to add to it, which is just a weird <laughs> and interesting <laughs> mindset, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess she thinks people sort of need that. I've definitely known people in my life who, who have that sort of opinion, um, so I could absolutely see it. I mean, I, I guess what what is so kind of endearing about Sheridan in this seg- segment is she's clearly she's trying to act like she doesn't care but she's just consistently being pretty cool like in the big picture she's kind Mm -hmm. of like like doing a bit of a snowdrop and everything she says in isolation is is maybe not the best but when you sort of realize the context you're like oh sheridan's been pretty good here like the the bit where like avery's like i want you to treat me the same like this this shouldn't change how you see me and then the sort of goodbye Sheridan gives her later is like, hey, don't forget if you break my stuff, you owe me $90. And it's mm. this really like heartwarming moment because Sheridan is still being the same kind of ass to her, which yeah, is Yeah, she's, she's good intentionally, <laughs> exactly. She's intentionally doing exactly what Avery said of like, say basically saying to her all right i won't treat you differently if that's what you want, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's, it's a nice little goodbye. Yeah. And um. I, like even all the others, like she, you know, she brings up stuff like she's like, "Hey, like grumbles into a lot of shitty politics, like that that might be an issue." Which is just like, you know, I think she's just saying, "Hey, I don't know." She's just, you know, making sure Avery's sort of aware that there's potential problems, and I I feel like basically saying, you know, "Watch out, mm. I have your back." Maybe I, I don't know. Mm. It'd be very interesting to see how Sheridan acted if this sort of blew up. You know? Mm. Yeah. We'll see, I guess. Yeah, if there's a... And, and you know, this kind of ties into when Avery is freaking out over... Sheridan says that their dad was freaking out at somebody when he told them, and Avery's kind of unsure if that's because he's actually a bigot or if he if there was something else that she doesn't have the context to. Yeah, like, for all we know, the guy giving the news was being a bigot and, like, delivered yeah, exactly. it in a really gross way, and the dad was yes. yelling at him for, like, yeah being disgusting about it you know yeah totally um so yeah it's this weird moment of you can kind of feel the rift forming between avery and her dad um but 
I, I do think it would be interesting to see if the situation does come to a head, what's that going to look like? Because I think Sheridan would go to bat for Avery against either their dad or Grumble. Um, we'll have I, to see. I would hope so too. But that, that would sort of be the moment where you could definitely just 100% be on side because like Sheridan's good here. But like, you know, if she if things got heated and she just like excused herself and did an Alpi or something, I'd be a little less inclined to think she was awesome. Um, whereas if she like stands, stands up to bat for Avery, then you'd be like, yeah, go Sheridan um somehow you are best sibling i know who would have thought when this story first started but it does seem like that's where we're going uh yeah seemingly yeah um so <laughs> yeah okay one more bit before we get too positive on sheridan yeah. i just want to pull out this quote that really just genuinely floored me for a moment where sheridan's talking about you know the, about every being gay and says something to the effect of like I thought that was usually the younger youngest child, you know, hormones in the womb or whatever, getting mixed up as you have more kids. I was just kind of like, what? What is that? A, is I, that a thing? I, I heard that, that growing rumor up. that people believe. Really? Yeah, I like. I have never looked into the scientific veracity of it. I've, I haven't quoted it for years, so don't. I, I'm not saying at all this is true, but that was definitely like when I was a young teenager, like like Avery's age. That was definitely something I was told is like it was more more common really? um for, for people to be queer like as younger siblings. Interesting. That's Abs- crazy. Again, again. Again, absolutely no, no, no idea. We're not le- leading yeah, we I haven't Googled this at all, but it just was something that was so out of left field to me. I was just like, what the hell is this? Um anywho, so uh during this scene, Carrie gets injured and Avery uses this distraction to move her dad's attention away from herself. So she can ride with uh, Matthew and the others to the Blue Heron Institute. Yeah, and, and like again, I know this makes sense. Like she doesn't want her dad driving her there. That that opens a whole can of worms. But again, like uh, the imagery of her like shutting down a connection from her dad feels like just remembering where she was when this story started. Like someone who was constantly falling under the radar, and then mm. now we sh- she's so rich, but it's like her dad is really trying to do something for her. And she's sort of sabotaging it. It, it. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it, it's just like with, with all that context, I'm sort of like, oh, this seems like a bad sign. And this is the right thing to do here, but this is just a sign that the practice is not always for the best. Yeah. It, it, it does feel like she's kind of running away here, right? Like, yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, she loves to run. That's why she picked a deer. Um, but failing to address this is just going to have it be building up bigger and bigger, right? Like, at least with Grumble, it feels like she took a kind of active step to help shepherd him in the right direction to where she would be able to feel comfortable talking to him about this. But with her dad, it was just close that door, you know? Um, yeah, well, she she yeah. moved her dad over to Grumble, which is like, you know, it, it's kind of good because on the one hand, hopefully we can get Grumble away from whatever Fox oh, News is called. Um, is that right? I, I thought the way I interpreted that was she did a diagram to stop Grumble paying as much attention to the TV and she did a diagram to focus her dad onto Carrie, but maybe those two were related. I thought I it was just one diagram that was the attention grabber and she stuck it like in Grumble's coat or something. She sticks one behind the chair, but she also slips right, one yeah. into, I think, Carrie's back pocket. God. Well, one of us Anywho. is confused. It doesn't, it doesn't really <laughs> I mean, matter. hopefully one of us is correct. <laughs> we could both be wrong. Um, uh. Yeah, actually, what I was sort of talking about Grumble, um, like Avery sort of thinks on, you know, how much it'll hurt her if, you know, he's a dickhead about her coming out. 
Um, and then she sort of thinks on this this sort of difference of philosophy she has with Lucy. So Lucy basically wants to fix the world. Like she's, you know, she wants to sort of proactively go out there and get people to stop being ignorant dumbasses or challenge them whenever they are. Whereas Avery is sort of like, you know, as long as the people are, like, as long as I have my close group around me, like it'll be okay. Um, mm. It's, yeah, I don't know. It, it's so interesting. Like I, 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 really interested to see like, as as we sort of move forward and as we move into this new environment how those two sorts of ethoses e- ethosy might work or might might interact or you know just, just sort of compare them because it's like i don't know i'm torn between saying oh you know avery shouldn't have to but then also like some someone you know trying and being proactive like lucy that that's often how things get better so it's mm. it's hard yeah i yeah it's always that kind of thing of like People should only fight the battles that they feel like they have the capacity to fight, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It's no one's responsibility to 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 take on those battles, but also if nobody does it, obviously that's bad too. So <laughs> it it is a, a, a unlosable kind of situation there. Um, well, I suppose yeah, I don't know. Let I, Lucy handle it, Avery. You you <laughs> focus on your own shit. Lucy's the battler. Yeah, but don't put it all on Lucy either. <laughs> true, <laughs> like, true. Because um, I like I wonder how much different ideas like that might come from the fact that like like avery doesn't present as gay right like you wouldn't just walk past her right on, on the street like unless she was wearing like a pride shirt or something but again that's mm-hmm. a choice whereas mm-hmm. like lucy is always black like if yeah. if there's some ignorant asshole they can just that's take one always look at her. her battle to fight yeah 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 exactly so like you know would avery feel different if she gets a girlfriend and every time they walk down the street holding hands or whatever like mm. people are coming up and being like dickheads to them, you know? Yeah. Or she, you know, uh, changes her style to something that, that could be more stereotyped as, as, as lesbian attire or whatever by people who are close minded. I, I can kind of see that. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm. just sort of thinking like, cause you know, Lucy has to put, well, I mean, we talked about Lucy puts hours of effort into like every day bulletproofing her look to make those people shut up. That's not something Avery really has to do. Right. Mm. yeah yeah she gets the luxury of not having to do it yeah yeah exactly mm. um anyway avery avery pulls off her distraction uh, and she meets up with matthew and the gang before they are driven off to summer school <laughs> can we talk about this quick conversation they have about like snowdrops <laughs> mating <laughs> instincts yeah yeah um, like i just have so so many questions it's like lucy says like the more i was learning the more i got morbidly curious about this because snowdrop gives us the impression she still has these mating instincts and she's gonna like have two litters a year or some shit how does that interact with her essentially being sentient now like on a level that i just don't think an opossum is um Mm. like yeah i i don't know i have so many questions to the off like i mean not really a relevant one, but to the offspring, are they kind of othery or magical as well? Yeah, it's a crazy. <laughs> it's crazy to me to think that there's some version of this story where she just like eventually goes back to being an opossum and just like living the rest of her life as a standard opossum. That's crazy, right? <laughs> um, yeah, or or is she just like still going to be Snowdrop, but like pregnant because she's been like following these instincts too? And what does mm. it say? I mean, like something we'll really be getting into later in this episode is how much we're starting to explore these relationships between others and practitioners like from the other side Mm. um and i feel like there's gonna be a lot of talk over the next like arc or two about like what 
an other is because the candidates seem to have pretty different ideas about that from from most of the other people at the, the blue heron institute and like mm. so this sort of ties into that a little bit like you know how how much someone like snowdrop is susceptible to these in- instincts is is kind of important and maybe that's what this whole conversation exists to just sort of start planting those seeds in yeah start planting the seed of of how snowdrop is still more instinctual than you might think yeah yeah interesting um yeah uh, <laughs> it is just like and it's a weird conversation it does have an, a, bit, a bit of an adorable ending where every promises to basically not let snowdrop die young which is lovely um yeah well and definitely required yes i uh, there's also um this bit like so as you sort of said matthew takes them to the blue heron institute and she um and he drops them off like as far away from the school as he can basically mm. uh he's super uncomfortable there and and avery directly compares it to you know the like seeing homophobic bullshit on the news that um grumble's watching yeah. uh it's just a nice uh, not nice for a certain definition of nice it's a it's an effective reminder um of it's like as as they're getting dropped off at the school like just a reminder that we need to be afraid and that there is this dis- discrepancy or or whatever between like the others and the practitioners mm, yeah um the way that matthew treats the practitioners in this school i think really sells or really sold to me at least how big this rift is between practitioner and other because that seems like it's what this part of the story is setting up is the idea of the relationships between practitioners and others and and what the social norm has become right and god it's grim based on how matthew acts like there is clear (laughs) fear and hate that that is in the way that he is acting and it, it really endears me to him honestly like you know matthew is someone who has been quite suspicious at various points throughout this story but this part of it is just so clearly earnest that you can't help but think like what a horrifying life this must be yeah yeah exactly and and like because matthew is the only candidate other who could have done this because like i, I don't know mm. what he looks like in the site or anything but presumably he sort of passes as a practitioner because he kind of was like, yes you know it might take a trained eye to notice that he's not really one anymore because this doom has taken such root inside of him um mm. but like the fact that he's basically like he, he's not sticking around to find out right like he, he is he's someone who used to be a practitioner and has kind of become another and he's just fucking terrified of these people like it really sort of mm. sets this tone as we're getting dropped off of hey just a reminder like all the characters we've really known so far are terrified of these people and basically feel persecuted by them yes and um, i think rightfully so right i mean like, well, yeah based on what we see yeah it's pretty clear that others are and it's it becomes immediately clear at the blue heron institute that others are i mean i wouldn't even use the word second class citizens because citizens isn't even there right like Mm. yeah it's um it's it's interesting and it's very interesting especially in the way that it plays with uh zed in uh in in this chapter yeah yeah i mean okay to to quote myself from later in the notes i can't remember where it is but uh uh, like the school in a way to me almost felt like I- elite or even like segregated or mm. like you know there are no others there are no other teachers there are no other students like it's very it's a point one of the candidates questions at some point and zed's like no there's only humans or like practitioners here um, yeah the only others that we've seen in the school so far are the um like the, the brownies the brownies which you know uh i mean 
they're obviously like a, a servant class, but there's they're not like house elves from Harry Potter, right? Like they they, they no. get their own in a way. They've got their own sort of power here. Yeah, and it's interesting because I don't think anyone would, you know, whereas the house elves in Harry Potter were a servant class and and were and you know in story were, were kind of this thing that needed to have some kind of social action taken, right? Um, despite the fact that weirdly. Uh, J.K. Rowling kind of made that the butt of jokes, the fact that Hermione wanted to help this downtrodden class. I guess that's hilarious to J.K. Rowling, but whatever. Um, Whereas these brownies, I don't think you would make an argument for them. The argument that you would make isn't they they should have freedom. It's this is just a bad situation all round (laughs) if I was going to make an argument about the brownies. Yeah, but it doesn't Um, feel as lopsided as, as, say, something like the house elves in Harry Potter where it's just like, oh, they like it or something i i I, yeah, they, I never yeah, i never exactly. finished the series so i don't i don't fully understand where it went but yeah wait wait with the brownies it's like they've got their own interests in in being in this position um, yeah 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 um yeah the the brownies get power from this situation in their own ways which i guess kind of equalizes it weirdly um but yeah uh, well we'll talk about this more as we get into the yeah. Z stuff i suppose so yeah the next thing that happens is the Kentiers run into Zed and Bree's there too, and and Zed and Bree kind of start showing them around, giving them the tour, and and Zed and Bree's tour basically is the remainder of this chapter, and then a large majority of next chapter as well. Um, you didn't so read we, out the cool ship name that I wrote in the notes, Zebri. Yeah, is that a cool ship name? Yeah. Okay. Well, the Kentiers run into Zebri, who start go. giving them the tour. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, a lot of the next chapter takes place as. Conversations between Zed and Bree and the trio. Yes, and Alexander's speech, but but we'll get there. Um, yeah. I, it's really interesting. Like, this is the point where um, you can sort of see why this was an Avery chapter. Like, Avery sort of points it out. She's like, this is, she has been the newbie entering a strange environment where everyone already knows what's going on before. Um, this is basically a repeat of her, what, however many months ago where she stopped being homeschooled. Mm, mm, um, yeah, so she, she it, gives it us, is... So she gives us like a really interesting insight into, you know, um, like I guess she just knows what to look for as she's eyeing groups of people. Like compared to Verona's narration next chapter, there's a lot more focus here on like who's talking to who, how they react to each other, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, Yeah, it it is good to see it because until I read that you'd written this down, I hadn't really connected it to this is just Avery going to another new school environment like stepping out of her bubble of homeschool to school and now school to magic school right um yeah just interesting uh and we also get a line here which i quite liked where Avery's thinking about how they're now hanging out with zed who was you know they threw monsters at each other um <laughs> and she thinks she wanted to live in a world where enemies could become friends which is nice especially because we're talking about practitioners and others a lot who are clearly uh if not enemies at least opposed right um yeah. So maybe this is saying, hey, it's possible. There is a way out of this. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is something the the story will at least comment on towards the end. Like, I, I would expect some sort of statement-ish thing or proper exploration of the possible relationships between other and practitioner because it feels like mm. it's been such a important part, particularly recently. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I just love this sentiment of wanting to live in a world where enemies could become friends because I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of the same. Like, I, I want to hope people can get better and get fixed yeah exactly it's not it's a nice um a nice a nice sentiment right yeah nice sentiment to to revolve your morality around um yeah yeah. so the the 
the the tour continues and they meet a bunch of uh interesting people <laughs> that's that's a word for them um yeah i mean we we meet like a bunch of different families slash groups here and they're all insane i love um I, I don't think we actually get the family's name but the ones who are like they call up powerful urban spirits and so they're like 10 year old daughter is just running around acting kind of normal and has this fucking like floating black spirit thing following her around uh as she does it like that's just such a terrifying image i think mm. avery says that all of her family have black handprints like she sees everyone has red handprints and they have black which to me ties them to like death or something it's not mm. good mm. yeah um yeah the uh the urban spirit practitioners really creep me out they're just yeah. creepy Although, like, I think that, that, that the idea that the, the urban spirit things is something I wanted to talk about because something I, I sort of noticed, and this doesn't apply to everyone at the school, so maybe I'm I'm jumping to a conclusion I shouldn't be, but it, it's sort of like basically how they're introduced is, oh, people can call up, like, big spirits of, of like, a place or, or a concept. And yeah. it's usually ancient things, so it might be like, I think the examples are like a river or something. Um this family specifically does it for modern things so they're they're targeting urban stuff so like sewage and, and things yeah and and what that sort of led me to think about was like you know this school is one third led by like a technomancer and stuff and what we sort of learn in alexander's speech next chapter uh, if i can jump ahead a bit is it, it seems like the blue heron, heron institute is a fairly like novel idea Mm. like he talks about founding it he talks about how it was like part of his whole mission to uh help network and round out everyone's edges which so it's like like i didn't i got the impression from the way he describes it that it's maybe not like every region has its own equivalent of the blue heron institute like this is a bit of an innovative thing he's doing um mm. maybe he's just egomaniacal and and thinks it's a more original or what you made out like it's more his idea than it is that's definitely a possibility with him um but i i sort of walked away from his speech thinking like the blue heron institute is a fairly novel idea and what i sort of noticed is we've got so many families here or, or groups it's like you know technomancers people who are doing old things but in new ways like it feels like this is a sort of uh like i don't know a new step a new evolution in in these the way these like it's all the forward thinking practitioners who are involved with the school more yes um I admit some people like uh, Mrs. Durache, who, you know, she specifically deals with the oldest things. Um, I don't know exactly how they fit into this, so it's not like a perfect idea, but, um, you know, just, just sort of, I can't help but think if we're tying like things like justice systems and all that that we've talked about so much, the idea of these newer networks and, and people who are forward thinking coming together uh, feels important to that. Mm. Yeah. Um yeah, I'll touch on this, or maybe it's worth jumping to this now rather than during Alexander's speech, but you kind of, uh, as you wrote this in the notes, you also made a comparison to Kennet, right? Um, yeah. And I think that's something that jumped out to me when I was listening to Alexander's speech as well, is this idea that the Blue Heron Institute is radical, both in the you know Ray Sunshine meaning of the word, but also in the <laughs> transformative meaning of the word, right? Um, it is something that is... Uh, and and this is what I love about a character like Radical Ray Sunshine is he clearly is somebody who has unzed as a result and things like the Hungry Choir website. They're these things that have tried to democratize information, which is something that I think is very interesting about our modern world. And 
that is something that is so transformative to this world of like power and power hungry people right um yeah so the blue heron institute is is radical and disruptive to that world and i think that's very interesting especially because we're setting up the um the the kind of central uh conflict of this being hey are others second class citizens right is that a is that what's going on here and and should that be the case and what will the kennedys do to to change that and then we see that the Blue Heron Institute is this radical thing for practitioners. And obviously, Kennet is something that we've talked about being very radical of an idea for others. And it's like, you know, this is the perfect storm of a place that can bridge the gap between practitioners and others because both groups are clearly willing to do something a bit more experimental and weird. And I'm excited to, I'm really excited to see the story going in that direction. Yeah. So it was part of what you're saying now. I've started like, mapping the blue heron institute in my head to like a like a tech startup or a tech giant like uh to to, to borrow from the notes further ahead like they were founded by this new god thing that was popping up that was like taking mm. a server at server architecture and it really jumped out to me oh this was like a techno thing um yeah that like so like to, to to your point about how it's sort of they're adapting to this new democratization of of information like i don't think it's a coincidence that it was like modern technology that led to that leap because that's that's sort of what it's done in the real world right like it's, mm. it's technology that has made us able to do things and have things like say facebook which um you know on the surface connect us all but the the more you dig into it like facebook is just making money for those who are already on top um yeah and, and that's and, what oh, the blue heron yeah. institute is doing like yeah on its surface the blue heron institute is like yeah everyone comes together and we're all better for it but it's only the people in the Blue Heron Institute who are better off for it. I mean, look at Charles, look at the Kennedy well, others. sure. I mean, only people who are in some sort of circle, right? It's not necessarily just Ray, uh, Durocher, and Belanger. Well, you, have to be, you have to be, like, in the in Yeah, the you have to be part now, of the yeah. approved group, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's just like, you know, they were already the sort of practitioners. So it's like, you know, like, there's... There's maybe stability or whatever that that you know is trickling down to say innocence or non-practitioners, but like really, it's consolidating more and more power in the hands of the practitioners, um, mm. and, and maybe dividing it a bit more equally in the, through them. But really, what it's doing is stopping them from killing each other and growing their own power base. It's like when two companies merge, mm. right? Like it, it does. It often just like increases their power. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think you could counter that by saying that the Kennedy others are kind of doing a similar thing, but um, I, I do think it's more interesting just to think about the fact that they've both formed these transformational systems, and the the uh, you know the the Kennedyers are kind of the avatars being the bridge between the <laughs> physical, human, and spirit worlds, right? Um, and I'm just excited for them to act as that bridge and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, so am I. Um, I, I, like, I think the, the comparisons and differences between Kennet and the Blue Heron Institute are going to be really fascinating to explore because you're right, like they are similar, like, like the idea of basically networking, agreeing not to kill each other and growing stronger. But I feel like the Blue Heron Institute is a bit different because it's, it, it's already that like, you sort of have to be a practitioner who has something, something to offer to get in um and then they're all networking to sort of make themselves stronger whereas like kennett was very much it, it, it felt more co-op-y you know it was like hey anyone can come in as long as you follow the rules which are basically don't kill each other um 
and you know we're all going to work together to protect each other um mm. so it, it's like but you know one of the big differences for kennett is is it was formed as a potentially partially as a response to something like the blue heron institute right like mm. you get you get the blue heron institute and and these practitioners are, are grouping together and persecuting the others and so they've there's at least is different because it was formed as a means of as a response yeah yeah interesting but I, I know there is just like a different vibe and I don't know enough about the specific rules of them right now to feel like I can safely map them to any comparison or anything. But it just like it feels like the Kenneth one is more of like an egalitarian sort of like, you know, trying to create a better world, whereas the Blue Heron Institute is a, a network building power uh, for itself as much as for everyone else. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I guess the. The extra twist on that is that somebody involved in the Kennet stuff decided that killing the Carmine Beast was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So it's not yeah, perfect. I, I had that thought as well. I mean, we, again, we're jumping a bit ahead, but Alexander's speech talks about how the Blue Heron Institute came about because these people banded together to kill a a, a bigger creature, right, um, yeah. and take its power. And as that was happening, I couldn't help but think like, you know, one of the top theories of what happened in Kennedy is the Kennedy others band together to kill the common beast to share in its power. And so it's like, shit, man, like, is that <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if these two things end up being quite similar, that would be telling in its own way. I, I mean, I guess we'll see. Mm. Um, to, to, to finally move on from, from this uh, extremely long tangent now, um, I, I want to pull out one sort of quote uh, as, as we sort of round out this tour where uh, Lucy says to Zed, uh, mostly I just want to know who to trust and potentially befriend. And uh, Zed just sort of says, uh, it, it trails off for about 30 seconds, which is mm. just like, we talked about how Matthew was raising alarm bells for us before. <laughs> um, this is definitely a moment where it's like, okay, your man on the inside is like, when you ask your man on the inside, who can we trust? And they just pause for 30 seconds, like alarm bells. Ah, yeah, the fact that it's a long twenty or thirty seconds pass, like, <laughs> wow, that uh, that is a long pause. It's such an awkward silence. Like, you, like I love how the like the word awkward isn't used at all in the text, but it's just like the way it's phrased. You just like, yeah, okay, everyone was standing there with blank looks on their faces, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so uh, the Kennedys are introduced to Mrs. Duroche and Zed's librarian Animus who Lucy immediately stands up for. Yes. Uh, to go back to your first point, uh, mm -hmm. Mrs. Durachet has a familiar that's been, like, eating something for three years, and we're not going to ask more about this. What's weird about that? Where is Verona when I need her? Like, I... What? Like, it's been eating something for three... Like, I I, I can't... I just need more Mrs. Durachet in my life, because she's fucking fascinating. She has the wildest shit associated with we barely mm. touched on the bit where she like stares them down when she first meets them and fucking like her eyes go back into her head and she like peers past their souls or whatever the fuck. Like it's terrifying. <laughs> she's the best. Yeah, she's a real creep. She's a real, I mean, not a creep. Just No, yeah, a creep. I, I, I actually do think I stand by that. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, she hasn't done anything like villainous, but you, the fact that you have a familiar that's been, uh, you know, eating something like ripping out the throat of a, something for three years is, I think, creepy. I would say that's creepy. I feel like I've had such a Verona response to everything Durashe because I'm just like, yes, more, please. Mm. 
Like, mm. maybe I would feel differently if I was there in real life. But, like, reading this, I was like, sign me up for private classes with Mrs. Derusha. She sounds like she's into the coolest shit. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, she's creepy. <laughs> um, I, I especially, I love the bit where, uh, so basically, Alexander comes up to interrupt this conversation, uh, and he's sort of like, oh, you three are such a mystery. And Mrs. Derusha is like, oh, you haven't figured out where they're from yet. And Alexander's like, goes on this whole fucking speech about he's like oh you know i probably know two thirds and you know one third and it's just like a more useful one third but like i know more than you so you should just say what like you know but like i know more all right so yeah like it was just so petty the way he like he's like okay you, you can tell me the answer but before you do I really need I to establish. I just want you to know that I know the answer more than you. Yeah, I just, I just am missing one vital clue. But overall, I know more than you, and that's important yeah. for me to say. Um, he's <laughs> just, he's, he's just the worst. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, what I love is like Mrs. Durache kind of calls him out on that a bunch. Like, there's the bit where he goes to give the speech, and she sort of comments like, "Oh, he loves this part," and I feel like that's another reason why I'm so keen on on more Durache stuff in my life because she seems pretty on the level. Like, she's just. She's probably just this weird woman who's into wacky primordial shit or whatever the fuck it was called. And, like, I can get behind that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess. I mean, if you can get behind that, that's good. I, the fact that she deals with big creatures just makes me on edge around her. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, just, I would 100%. Uh, I would be apprenticing under her. I'd dress the same as her. That's like, so weird. <laughs> I, weird I, choice. No way, she's got the coolest shit associated with her. No, the coolest choice is obviously Radical Ray Sunshine. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so uh, here's something. Alexander, right, Mr. Belanger, a hard one to figure out. Like, because we kind of, there was a bit there where we thought he was going to be the main antagonist of this story, right? Like, he's set yeah. up as this, uh, yeah, I don't know, as this kind of big antagonist, but now he's just very much acting as though, like, everything that happened is water under the bridge between him and the Kenneteers. It's he, it's very hard to get a read on how much he's going to be totally fair and level to them and how much he's going to be spiteful to them. I really just don't know. Yeah, because we came out of uh, particularly Nicolette's interlude and then the the conversation with him after that. With very yeah. much this impression of him as the absolute worst, terrible, selfish man. Um, but then, like, in this chapter, and it's maybe confused a little bit by the fact that we're now totally on Team Nicolette from the Kennedy's perspective as well, there's nothing Alexander does here which, like, you know, he gives kind of grandiose speeches and he has, like, spy equipment all over the school. And, like, you know, mm. all that, yes, it's, like, a bit creepy, but there's, like, he doesn't feel like the conniving completely evil person in these chapters yeah and i'm trying he's, he's, not to i'm trying not right. to let myself fall for it because i feel exactly, like he probably right is. <laughs> he 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 seems to be so earnest about wanting to provide a space for people to learn like yeah. despite the fact that he clearly has some some machinations going on and clearly is getting some benefits out of this like at the very least he seems to be genuine about making that a reality and that's so weird to reconcile with the v version of him we got in nicolette's interlude at the very least yeah like i sort of had him written off as a just a complete selfish psychopath before now like i'm having to round him out a little bit more um yeah which is like good but it's just like i i'm trying to make sure i don't let my guard down too much because i'm still pretty sure he is 
going to betray them the second he could. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I, I still think he is probably very selfish. But, uh, y- yeah, there's, like, just enough of him that's like, yeah, like, you know, he's, he seems genuinely invested in this idea of networking and having friendships with the other teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess i got to look up the exact definition of friendship to know how much he's, he's abusing that term. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying not to let my guard down but like he you know i, I like i think because i find ray sunshine and mrs duroche both com- like totally fascinating i really mm. want to spend more time with them and so I'm, I'm like trying to put alexander in the same bucket of like being a bit more like rounded and like intriguing as a character and not just like evil villain headmaster man mm. Mm. yeah i don't know he's he's playing the dumbledore role a little bit too well <laughs> Um, but yeah, so to get back to something you brought up before as well, uh, so Lucy questions Zed's, like, keeping of the Animus in this way, and, uh, oh boy, Zed does not appreciate this, uh, this line of questioning. Um, like, I love how it sort of dies down, and then later on, he just sort of out of nowhere is like, um, you know, like, she actually is fine with it, and, like, the goblins and war dogs that you know, like, they will keep it, kill Mm. people if practitioners like us don't stop them. Um, and like, what I love about that is he's clearly been stewing on this, like through the whole gap. Um, like they've clearly, uh, pricked a nerve. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I guess th- this feels like what we're going to be exploring in this next chunk of this story, because on a level, like he's not wrong. I mean, we've seen the goblins. They're like, they're awful. And like Munch yeah. leaves town to go and, and torment and kill people. Um, like yep. he, he had plans to build their own dog by killing a whole bunch of people. Um, yep. But then on the other hand, some of them are thriving in Kennet, right? So, and Kennet seems to have rules on, on limiting how much, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm so, I'm so fascinated to see where this goes because on the one hand, I'm like, there's so much more to someone like John than being a killing machine. But then on the other hand, yeah. he is a little bit a killing machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah like you know how how do you how do you reconcile these two aspects to them uh, i do think zed's immediate reaction is justifying right like yeah yeah i think lucy has planted this seed and this is this is something that zed's going to be going off and thinking about right yeah um, absolutely and it's interesting that this kind of feels like it's something that they just haven't considered like you know yeah. we know that zed has at least been a practitioner for a while. And and when you've been in that world for a while, you've just kind of taken on the societal assumptions that, that exist in that society. And one of them is others aren't people, right? They're not, yeah, they're not human at, uh, for sure, but they're not people. They're not sentient creatures that you should worry about. You know, they're not um, entitled to the same rights. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even uh, Alexander Belanger says something to the effect of, I find this line of questioning fascinating. Yeah. Like he's, it's a novelty to him that th- <laughs> these three are like trying to stand up for the idea of another having some kind of level of rights. Um, and yeah, I'm, I mean, this is what we talked about, the idea of others as second class citizens. I'm I'm very keen on, on seeing where it goes because I think this is a pretty good first step for it yeah yeah exactly it's going to be super interesting to see how people respond to these ideas being challenged as well because this is very much like you know we talked about how alexander has set up this school and seems to genuinely have a passion for creating the network and sharing knowledge let's not forget Mm. like it is essentially like a big private school like not only is it set up in the sandstone and everything which at least down here is very like old money sort of establishments but like 
what's of it? The, the Kenneteers are on, for want of a better word, a scholarship. There's usually big fees to to come here. Um, yes, true. So wait, wait. They're on an extortion scholarship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So wait. This place is like yes, it's a place of learning and, and networking or whatever. But like, there's a pretty significant buy-in. Like, there's that el- elitist gate. Like, it's a very elitist mm. place. I feel like, and there's that gate to get in. And uh, our trio, yeah, snuck, snuck through on a on a sort of scholarship. Uh, and they're going to be maybe challenging ideas that a lot of these people just wouldn't have considered. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But I'm looking forward to the Kentiers changing that perception, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. Cool. Uh, anyway, that's the end of Leaving the Mark 4.4. We dive into Leaving the Mark 4.5, which uh, is from Verona's perspective, and it begins with Alexander Belanger beginning his Dumbledore welcome speech, describing the history of the school and how it came to be. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we've touched on this a little bit, but yeah, obviously, you know, uh, they all got together by killing a god uh, or godling. Uh, I don't know. It, it was becoming a god, I think is what they said. Which is like that's a whole can of worms. I'd love to dig into. How does one become a god? Mm. Um, that's the direction Verona should go. <laughs> I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's easy. Um, but yeah, uh, fascinating to me that the school originated from like a new type of threat. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Um, this is wild stuff, right? Yeah. The okay, okay. So yeah, so. There's this god in the machine, Techno Other, and the the these three hunted it down together, kind of meeting each other along the way and form the school. Great, right? Good origin story. But I read through this again and, and again, and I was looking for any indication that this Techno god had like done anything, you know, <laughs> other than just exist. And there's no, there's literally no indication in in Alex's speech that this other had done anything other than just exist right like there's no there's no oh and it you know uh, he doesn't even say that when he saw it in his sight it had like a bad aura or anything no, like it was just uh, in a waterfall right like it's just it was just yeah and, and in fact it, he goes so far as to say it it looked like a child which yes is not a, a statement of it being innocent but it's at least something to st- to state that you know, this is a childlike other that got a young god that got too powerful. Even I, like <laughs> didn't do anything; they just killed it to take its power. Like that's it. That's the only thing that that happened. And when I realized that, I was like, surely that's not. I don't know. <laughs> like, there's just nothing. There's no crime there. You know, at, at the very least, the fact that like like okay. We, we don't know because he doesn't bring it up. So he could have been doing all sorts of horrible things. The fact mm. that he doesn't even feel the need to justify it is what was telling. Like, I think, like, you know, like, if it, if it was really about the fact that it was killing everyone, he would have brought that up and been like, yeah, yes, it was, you know, laying waste to blah, 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 blah. So we had to stop it. But, like, he doesn't even feel that that's a relevant point. He just says, yeah, it was big and powerful, so we killed it and took the power. Um, like, that's that's where the priorities were. Uh, basically yeah yeah the fact that he doesn't feel like he needs to say oh and it was going to kill people like even if it was he doesn't even need to justify that and that's another indicator of just how uh, i guess prejudiced this society has become yeah like it could have been we we don't know because he doesn't even feel the need to specify um 
for, I think the one thing we do get told it was doing was running the server. It take it had like taken over the company, and so it was like I feel like it was becoming some sort of CEO god. Um, mm. So like it may have more been a matter of competition than anything else. Like yeah, we don't know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We I I guess we don't know for sure that it, it wasn't like it could have been malicious. We don't know, but it just is so. When I realized that there was no effort in there to justify yeah this thing existed so we ki- we killed it for its power like that's not that's not even a statement that needs <laughs> justification in alexander's mind yeah exactly um and then yeah we've, we've already sort of touched on a lot of this stuff but um you know the, the way this school has built itself up as something that is like a network but with the buy-in that most people have to do like it, it definitely feels like a network that is just widening the gap and and pushing these these powerful practitioners further away from everyone else um i'm really fascinated to learn more about jessica and how she got involved because like she's the closest we've got to the the kennedy's as someone else who like like how did she get involved with the school right because didn't she sort of teach herself the practice to um find her cousin or whatever she's the one who was going into the ruins right yeah um so she she's very much someone who somehow got into this network without having to donate books or whatever or maybe she did like we, we don't mm. know but like she's someone i'm fascinated to learn a bit about as we're talking about how uh like insular this network can kind of be mm. yeah also like I, I i wonder if charles was maybe targeted because he didn't want to be a part of the blue heron institute that, that might be nothing because the alexander that we've well, seen in other chapters is very much someone who would just do it for the power um i mean we just talked about that or but like i we don't uh, i'm trying to remember how specifically we know what charles and alexander's argument was about like i wonder how much the blue i wonder if the blue heron institute was a factor i mean it was about prison reform or something wasn't it i Um, I think so so maybe not it's weird to think of alexander belanger was the person who totally fucked over charles and also is this person that we're seeing deliver this speech yeah like it's definitely a little bit incongruous yeah which is why like again i i i'm trying to think of him as as less completely evil psychopath but i'm trying to remember that like 95 percent evil psychopath right yeah he's definitely got something dodgy going on at the very least um it, it just as we finished talking about his speech as well i wanted to call out this one bit where he sort of is going through all the new students and introducing them to everyone and uh, he introduces the the Kenneteers and he's like, oh, we have a group of wild practitioners, which of course is something he's known about for so long now. Um, <laughs> and the I, I wanted to call out the response from each Kenneteer because I thought they were just delightfully in character. Um, so after he introduces them, uh, Verona notes, Avery stood a little taller while Lucy turned her head to search the crowd out of one corner of her eye. Uh, Verona did the one better and turned to face the crowd with a slight smile on her face. <laughs> it's just like, I just love how immediately i bought all three of those reactions like avery's trying to be proud of herself lucy's suspicious and verona's just smug um mm. it was great <laughs> yeah very in character <clears throat> um uh, so alexander finishes off his welcome speech and he finally gets to the stuff that we all actually want to know about which is the nitty-gritty details of the administration behind how this school all works <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a joke, but you're not wrong. <laughs> like, that's what I always love about the Wild Bow stories is how much you can be like, you know, oh, there was this superhero story, yeah, but I'm really excited for the family dinner. And it's like, that's 
it's a testament to the stories is that you like I'm genuinely interested in learning about the admin of this school. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But Me you too. Know, I mean, overall, this place is just, it's such a fun riff on like things like Hogwarts and those other um, young adult, like sort of magical stories. Um, like to, to, to specifically hone in on sort of Harry Potter, you know, there's always this like, haha, this is so charming and great aspect to it. Even though like these things are, horrifying like things like the forbidden forest or the fact that the stairs can just leave you stranded in the school mm. is always just played off as like oh this is so zany and um what i love is like wobbo's doing a really fun sort of like no this is just genuinely terrifying version of that like you know there's all these moments where people are saying things where it's like oh make sure you let us know if you're leaving the school uh so we don't have to send something out after you <laughs> it's like what the fuck like, what monster are they going to send to track down a student <laughs> who's just gone on a Macca's run, you know? Yeah, there's all kinds of wild stuff that, like, if you unfocus your eyes, there's nothing going wrong. But if you pay attention to each sentence, there's yeah. so much horrifying stuff happening at this school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, we already touched on, like, the brownies. Like, you know... In- I love... Oh, God, I love the brownies. The fact that... The staff of the school is this, this like weird, mystically powerful staff <laughs> that help manage the school, cook food, arrange furniture, and just if you acknowledge them in any way, you'll be subject to horrifying tortures. <laughs> like that's the status quo here. It's so yeah. like it's such a perfect metaphor for like if you act in exactly the right way, you don't have anything to worry about. But if you put one foot out of line, you better watch out. You know, just yeah. the exact vibe of this school. Well, and exactly, and like, wait, to, to, to go off the house elves in Harry Potter again, it was like, you know, that was just treated, as you said, like a bit of a joke that it was like, oh, ha, ha, look at Hermione wanting to s- save the slave class. Um, whereas, you know, in this school, it's like, yeah, like this is really fucking dangerous. And, and, you know, like all, everything that's even remotely comparable to something in Hogwarts is like, hey, yeah, but what if we actually treated that as, as genuinely scary as it is? Um, mm. it, it's just such a fun, response to to something like hogwarts which treated all of these terrifying ohns violations as zany Mm. Mm. yeah yeah exactly that i think that is why it's so fun it's this it is this deconstruction of the hogwarts trope set right Um, yeah yeah like right back to i i think we called this out in the thing but when they got the class list mm. uh, a couple of extra materials ago and there was the like, send us your math and English marks so we know how much we've got to teach you of those. Because I, I think that's like a common thing in the Harry Potter fandom is like the fact that in the Harry Potter Hogwarts, like they don't do maths. So presumably all these grown ass wizards are walking around with like year six level maths. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But see, here's the thing about it is it's a kind of deconstruction i guess to use that word of of those hogwarts style tropes but it is also at the same time the exact kind of escapist fantasy that that those things still are right like yeah. we're in his head and it that really sells that despite the fact that this has so many terrifying things it is still like fuck i would go to the blue heron institute <laughs> if i could yeah. like even with yeah. all the the brownies and weird like scary teachers and shit of course i would because it would be awesome to learn about fucking crazy magic like it's so oh, yeah. great that it can be both horrifying and desperately exciting at the same time the two weeks i managed to survive at the blue heron institute would be a very <laughs> fun two weeks <laughs> 
Um, until you turn into, you know, a, a part of a rabbit and someone's dad. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree. Like, this absolutely had to be a Verona chapter because it's exactly the headset we need to be in for, like, just appreciating how fucking lovely this all is. Like, you can tell Lucy yeah. is, is spending most of this being, like, critical and, and, and a bit paranoid or something, like, you know, like, checking the corners, whereas Verona is just in love. Um, mm. and, and that was exactly where I was. Um, yeah, it, it's it's very fun. You're right. Yeah. I, I would I would absolutely go here and meet a terrible demise if if I could. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, Zed and Bree continue the tour, uh, give more introdu- introductions as they show them to their new room. Yeah, it's uh, something we actually haven't touched on till now. Is um so there's basically a trio running the school. I, I think this is the point where Zed compares them compares Alexander to a principal and the other two to the sort of vice principals. Mm. Um and, and I guess like we we've we touched on this, but like I find all three of them so fascinating. Like Alexander's on top. We we know he's an auger and he's a piece of shit. Um but like we start to get these more details on like how uh Mr. Sunshine is, is like the approachable one um but there's like rules about how you interact with him like i could see lucy butting heads with him because she like you know rightly usually gets very emotional and he seems to bounce off of that um and then like mrs durashay i've already talked about how she's fucking terrifying but i'm so fascinated to see so much more of her um (laughs) like like just overall i'm so keen to see interactions with all three of these heads of school because what i love about them is they're not just like interesting in terms of their practice but i'm i'm becoming more and more interested in them as characters and how they'll interact with the kenneteers mm. um like it's, it's going to be so fun to sort of see how these three mentor our our heroes yeah for sure i i yeah i'm very excited to see these characters who are all so unique and strange and see how they're going to play into this bizarre <laughs> uh you know web of connections that we've set up in this story yeah because i okay i don't disclaimer i don't think this is how it's going to be but like obviously we have a trio of kenneteers and we have a trio of principal vice principals um if you had to map them one to one like like Mm. if if each one was going to sort of become an apprentice for one of them which again i like i feel like would be a bit simplistic so i don't think it's realistic but it might yeah i I don't think that quite tracks but if you had to go to your head or other to you. Well, I'd put Verona with Durashay, I think, which then would leave, I guess, Avery and Belanger and Lucy and Ray. I, I don't know. None of it feels like it tracks that well, to be honest. I could see Verona and Durashay just because Durashay is dealing with non-human shit, and that seems like exactly yes. Verona stuff. Yeah. I, I would put Avery with Rad Ray Sunshine. I feel oh, like, yeah. you know, they've both got positive vibes. Um like you know avery's all about i, I feel like there's a, a a bit of a link between technomancy and pathfinding because they're both sort of pushing the edges mm. in various ways they're not like safe sitting back things they're both like mm. new up or exploring new stuff um and then lucy with alexander because you know he's all about like the conflict and stuff and lucy's obviously like had associations with with violent imagery a lot uh in the story Mm. like her, her her knives in her sight and stuff yeah true yeah. i mean i don't know if that super tracks with alex but it's okay yeah as i said i don't know i, I don't know why i wasted everyone's time <laughs> on that. i thought it might be funner than it was ah this whole show is diving too deep into these questions <laughs> whatever um 
there's okay okay here's something here's an here's another thing to dive in too deep into and waste everyone's time with this teaser at this this horrifying alcazar thing that happened so okay so an alcazar is like a way to turn a creature or an object into like a, a space seemingly used as a kind of diagnostic or identification tool right cool great piece of world building love it um and so as part of that you know, everyone made Alcazars in class and uh, this girl made an Alcazar and freaked out and t- then turned into it, kind of lost herself into it, seemingly kind of like becoming lost in this Alcazar um, and then becoming parts of it, as in her, you know, her soul being broken up and put into like <laughs> the rabbit that was there or the guy's dad that was there. Like, shit, that's cr- that's <laughs> probably the most horrifying thing we've heard of in this entire story. And it's just kind of casually dropped in, like... And it's perfect because this school is such a perfect metaphor for this school because it's got, like, the craziest practice stuff that's also the most horrifying. Like, of course (laughs) that's what you would find at this school as, like, an assignment. You just make one of these horrifying things. And, again, I think it's, like, a fun riff on something like Hogwarts where it was always like, oh, no, like, you know, somebody got turned into a a floating thing or a rabbit. Turned into a cat or, like, we practice the unforgivable curses on each other and shit like that. Oh, no, better send them to sickbay. Whereas in this, yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, she brought like a slightly wrong uh, item in and, you know, was fucking ruined by it. Um, yeah. Like, this is insane. I've I, I got to admit, like, I think we've ragged a lot on, like, Avery wanting to be a finder. But the more mm. we learn about other practices, the more I'm like, oh, okay, it's not actually that much worse. Like, there's a, there's yeah, a link it's all, to be made. It's all terrible. Right. Yeah. But there's a link to be made between Alcazaring and, and Path or, or Finding, right? Like, obviously not the same but the idea of this alcazar stuff is you're transporting yourself to abstract spaces it's not totally dissimilar to the paths uh and this is something that a bunch of other people are doing so i guess finders aren't as out there as i thought Mm. well no they are it's just everything else is more out there than you thought (laughs) yeah okay fair fair (laughs) the bar Um, the bar hasn't been raised everyone's lowered everyone's bar has been lowered yeah totally (laughs) um yep so uh another thing that i really like that we see is there's this beat of um we see chase again and he's continuing to be a huge dickweed but everyone knows he's a huge dickweed and so it's really funny to me because when we first met chase in nicolette's interlude it was like oh this is chase and he's kind of what everyone is kind of like that's the impression that we got right like everyone's a piece of shit yeah. in Nicolette's life. And so, of course, this is a horrifying, like the Blue Heron Institute is horrifying because of that. But actually, it's great that that's being kind of backtracked a bit. Chase is just a piece of shit and everyone calls him out on it all the time. <laughs> it, it really, like, normalizes the fact that, you know, yes, there are, there are shitty people and untrustworthy people here, but there's also people who will call them out and that kind of takes it a step back from everyone at the Blue Heron Institute is shitty too you know there are some allies here at least yeah like, like i think like again i i feel like the the nicolette interlude was a different vibe because that was very much just alexander's crew and it, it mm. was sort of like the the boarding school like all the day students like zed have gone and this is mm. just the people under alexander's sway so like there's a different vibe there because apart from nicolette or even a little bit nicolette everyone there was the worst um mm. but yeah like so you're right it, like it is like I, I think it's different, but it is comforting to know that like Chase is 
not the norm like and that we at least have this little crew who are just like oh, fucking chase like you know after talking about how we're a bit confused because alexander doesn't seem like the worst at least we've still got chase that we can fall back on on like yeah this guy's a cunt when <laughs> there's nothing yeah nothing chase good about chase yeah. um yeah it, it's almost like there's this little social group at the school of like not scary and not assholes and it consists mm. of nicolette zed and brie and maybe jessica and um the Kennedys have, have just joined club normal person um yeah i mean I, I mean i suppose that's a that's an important thing like we, we talked about how the blue heron institute is raising up um the, the people in it part of that though is that so there is this thing where you can't hurt each other a bit more and that is making mm. it a bit less cutthroat in some ways like like would friendships like we see with nicolette and zed and hopefully the Kennedys and those two I mean, those weren't possible before they were in the Blue Heron Institute, right? So it's not just, it is, it is just lifting up the people in it. But like, I think importantly, it's helping the good people in it lift up further than they might in a more cutthroat scenario. Like maybe, maybe it's mm. not all terrible, the, the Blue Heron Institute, right? Like if it can put the good people in connection with each other, as well as the, the selfish cutthroat people like Alexander and Chase. Yeah. Yeah. True. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that is some of the good that it's doing. Um, interesting oh another beat that i really like that we get here is zed gives a bit more information on how their their name changed worked which is so fun we kind of dived into this topic with dawn and kippos uh like a week and a half ago in our reflecting on our three episode yeah and i'm so glad that wabo decided to like explore this a bit more because it was such a interesting interaction of the kind of archaic systems that seem to govern the world with the you know the modern world and, and modern kind of things that happen in the real world i'm just glad that wabo decided to dive into it a little bit more i think it's really fascinating yeah and because it comes after zed talking about the rules of discourse which is basically mm. like you can call someone a dick and they don't literally have to be a dick like the spirits yeah kind of follow rules of convention or what everyone's doing so mm. like the idea that zed sort of explains here is is what he had to do is like change it all in the real world and get everyone doing it and then it becomes like seen as normal and then the spirit's kind of like oh okay yeah you're like you're zed that, that's cool um mm. and, and what i love about this in particular is because basically what that tells us is the spirits will go along with it as long as people do so the yes. only thing holding us back is chase it's chase and people <laughs> like chase yeah yeah people like chase but specifically oh, chase. Yeah, yeah. um yep like you know the, the spirits will follow everyone else's lead and so as like you know as long as chase is doing his dumb bullshit of call calling him z or whatever the fuck he does like yeah like that's all that's stopping this stuff from being a lot easier and i i think that kind of holds true in real life as well and so as is often the case in the other verse it's like you know the 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 line between the metaphor and, and real life is a bit thin um so like i i really like this interpretation and it's it's like it's sort of what Kipos was talking about in that in that episode that we we had uh, her on. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, cool, cool stuff. Very cool stuff. And that's what we hear at Magic School, right? Is to explore the nitty gritty details of how this world works. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, the trio are led to their room, and twist, it was Nicolette's room that Snowdrop <laughs> burned. Um, but putting that aside, they they request their furniture. Yeah, I mean, that's just a very, like, you know, Nicolette's like, Alexander does have a sense of humor. And I, I got all, I got a laugh out of this. This is, this is a funny move. Alexander's the worst, but, uh, you know, I can't hate this. It's hilarious, especially because they brought Snowdrop. 
which I love Nicolette's response to the fact that they brought Snowdrop. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, the way they request the furniture and stuff, though, is very cool. Like, this is a cool magic school thing. Furniture on demand. Mm. I mean, it's got a cost. If you react to the cool furniture you get, um, something terrible TM happens to you. Uh, but, like, the idea that you could just draw a new layout for your room and get it instantly, like, is pretty enticing. Yeah. Um, it's great. It's it's possibly the best thing about the Blue Heron Institute is you can literally just request a bit of um, interior design whenever you want and it'll just happen. Like, and what the a food dream. too. I'd get yeah. so I like I I don't I don't want to compare myself to Chase, but I'd probably get fat too if I could just order whatever the fuck I wanted at any time. <laughs> like, it really is um, just like you're a sim, and you get, but you can also <laughs> control the sims. So you get to just have whatever furniture and food you want. You can be like, all right, I think I'm going to practice this skill or this skill or that skill, um, and it's just great. Yeah, I, yeah. There's a lot to draw you into this place and and make you ignore the myriad of dangers uh as i think both of us and verona are are falling for a little bit Mm, yeah um it's a nice room they they get some nice furniture it's great um there's this quote where (laughs) okay here's a good quote lucy asks why does this feel ominous which i mean (laughs) lucy it all is ominous what are you talking about yeah that's basically that could be the the catch or the tagline for this chapter Uh, Mm. it's just why does this feel ominous.txt? Just put that between every paragraph. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, moments of um, moments of uh, things like, okay, th- this quote from Zed that I really liked, where Zed says, I can introduce you to others around then. Uh, others as in others or others as in students, Zed corrected. Just another great beat of um, <laughs> of humans and others and the rift between them right the rift between practitioner and other i'm I'm just i'm definitely going to be continued to be excited to dive into that yeah but this is this is the line where the word segregated first appeared in the notes like i know i've already used Mm. it but this is what put that word in my mind because it was just very much like yeah zed has to correct there are no others on campus apart from like the brownies and nina or whatever other oh and you know floating spirits that attract 10 year old girls that aren't at all terrifying yeah (laughs) yeah um oh and the painting (laughs) okay so verona requests a painting for their room right and she says a painting that has a cat dog and oh sorry a cat fox and deer in it right yeah and so good idea like it's a nice little i was like that's neat and she comes back and the painting is a bunch of like dogs like foxhounds or just hunting dogs hunting down a fox and a deer and there's a, a presumably dead cat in the mouths of one of the dogs <laughs> as well, which is crazy. And she gets a nicer one later, which is good. And uh, uh, Avery and Lucy don't see this one, which is nice for them. Um, <laughs> but thinking about this, I was trying to think like, is this foreshadowing? Like, cause the only in air quotes dogs that we know are like John or Yolda. Right. Um, so I don't know what this would be saying if it's foreshadowing, but it's grim, whatever it is. I mean, so the other thing, like the fact that the cat, which is Verona, is the one that like is already in the dog's mouth. That was sort of what I focused on, like rather than literally sort of looking at the dogs as imagery. I was like, is it the school or the brownies themselves? Like something already has Verona in its grip and is coming for the other two as well. Like, like maybe it's not actually a dog. Like maybe that's it's it's even more metaphorical uh, than something like John or Yolda. But you know, like 
Verona's mm. diving pretty hard into this school, or she's the one in the room uh, with the brownies at the time. Or, I don't know if yeah. you're in the room. It's confusing whether brownies exist in space time. Um, I think by design. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, this is a good lesson to learn in this case, though. Like, this is a pretty harmless way to to sort of learn about like the to be careful of like monkey's poor wishes. Like, if mm-hmm. you just ask for a painting with those three animals, you're going to get a violent, horrifying one. You need to actually specify, hey, can you give us a pleasant painting good in these things? Like, Yes, and that might explain, uh, sorry, not explain that, but that might be a rule that applies also to other requests that you make of the brownies, so probably yeah. a good one to keep in mind, right? Not just the brownies, but like, I, I feel like that's a well, good yeah, practitioner true. thing to have in general. Like, that's, it's, yeah. it's a good reminder. This is a relatively safe way to have part of that lesson imprinted on you. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, the group head off to eat um, with Zed kind of continuing to fill them in as they go. Yeah, um, and I, I want to call out the bit. So they, they stop by the library to check in on Nina and um, Verona basically wants to go get a bunch of books to read at dinner uh, and Lucy and Avery basically have to drag her out. Um, and it's just, it's a really fun moment. Like they're all trading barbs and um, we sort of skipped over them <clears throat> so far, but something these two chapters did a particularly good job of, I think, is sprinkling in moments of friendship. Like, like there was the other bit where when they first get to their room, um, Avery is blocking Verona's way into the room. And so Verona sort of tries to move her and then Avery starts giggling and Verona realizes like she's doing it on purpose. Um, <laughs> and it's just like a nice little friendship moment of like Avery <laughs> just shit stirring Verona a bit. Um, yeah. And there's like there's even other ones like Nicolette and Zed have a few moments. Like there's the bit where they make fun of each other. Oh, Nicolette makes fun of Zed's little mustache, and um, Zed sort of makes fun of Nicolette's horrible life. Um, like I, I I don't know. It just really jumped out to me in these two chapters how like as all this horrifying stuff was going on, we did take some times to reinforce that there are genuine connections between groups of people here. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's nice, right? And it's nice that the Kenneteers are seemingly becoming a part of that group as well which yeah I like, just if, like if by the end of the summer they're sort of trading barbs with nicolette and zed in the same way like that would be so nice yeah <laughs> yeah definitely um okay so here's another uh, fun beat that is set up here which is um zed goes to a lot of effort to warn the group uh, and nicolette as well goes to a lot of effort to warn the group that in general they basically shouldn't trust anybody here at this school um which is worrying and i kind of was going to mark it as a point against practitioners in general but i that also was advice that they got from you know miss when they first awoke from all the ken and others right so i'm kind of like yeah you're right i guess this isn't that big of a deal because this is also true about all the others like it's just a world where you have to be guarded and you can't really trust anybody and you you shouldn't right um yeah like yeah. again these uh, these comparisons and contrasts between others and practitioners is, is just stuff i'm so keen to continue exploring mm, yeah yeah definitely um there's actually a great quote like zed sort of as, as he's talking about whether they can trust people he has this one line where he says some you can trust some you can call friends rarely both mm. um i just love that as a quote because like i can call someone a friend but i can't trust them what, what does that mean <laughs> i can say I, I can say i trust someone but i don't call them a friend like what does that mean does that mean i can trust them to do the wrong thing so i 
They're predictable. Yeah, what does that like... <laughs> mean? I, I was kind of stumped by that one for a bit as well. Um, I, I think it's just a fun way of just really selling, like, don't don't let your guard down here. Everyone's going to let you down. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So the trio head back to uh, their room after dinner. We get a bit of time jump to later. And um, Verona's just really having a good time, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I would be too. Again, as long, as long as I'm not in the process of dying, I think I'd be loving this school. Um, and again, another great little fun friendship moment as Verona stinks up the bed with garlic breath. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's interesting. I had a bit of a mixed reaction to the way Verona is acting here, right? Which is that she's so eager and I, I'm like, you get caught up in her infectious excitement, but it, it is also kind of worrying, especially when we get to the books that she's chosen from the library, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> But I do also see that, like, this being finally able to get into this world and, and get away from her dad is also, like, hopefully the thing that she needs to to realise, like, okay, I'm just in a world that is where I have been meaning to be, you know? Like, regardless of whether she is more or less able to do her, um, her turn into another plan, like, she's just surrounded by exactly... She kind of feels like she's exactly where she needs to be with who she needs to be in order to avoid uh, turning into an other, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like, Verona turning into an other, I think is going to be a thread that weaves into and out of the role of others that we're going to be exploring in this school, right? Like, mm. we've just spent so much time talking about, oh, this this, art, uh, this, this part of the story seems to be focusing on the, the relationship between others and people, and then we have, like... Uh, sorry others and practitioners and here we have a practitioner trying to turn other but there's no way Mm. those those two threads won't bounce off each other um so you're right it is going to be really interesting to explore it um the biggest asset uh to your point is that she's not with her dad anymore which will hopefully help um yeah but there's little moments like when she goes to brush her teeth which side note so she she hadn't brushed her teeth which is like at first you wouldn't think anything of it because our slumber party or whatever um at, at school but her dad's not making her brush her teeth. <laughs> Wait, how often is Verona brushing her teeth? I know. What a weird moment. But you're right. <laughs> Reflecting on it, I mean, it makes sense. Her dad is not one that would instill good habits in her, right? Like, who yeah. she have for a role model there? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm just, I, I don't know where I'm taking this idea, but the, it just jumped out to me that, like, I'm not confident that Verona brushes her teeth at home. And, uh, you know, that sort of says a bit. Yeah. Um, mm. Now that she's actually living with her her one parent, uh, aka Lucy, um, <laughs> she, she might do she might do a bit better. No, the, her parents are uh, uh, Zed, Brie, and Nicolette. I guess. <laughs> I mean, huge step up. It is um, a step up. Yeah, th- yeah. So you know, there's this bit where she finds like a girl crying as she as she goes to brush her teeth, and and to me that like sent. Oh, I felt like it was meant to send signals that we should be a little bit concerned about this place. Like just another little yeah. reminder. It's not all roses. Um, I, I I definitely saw that at school. Like when 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 kids would first start boarding, um, there's like a homesickness that that happens. So I, I don't know. Like it, it makes sense to me that that would be happening to a ten year old because like that's very young to just be sent away for a couple of months to this creepy place. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, of course, it wouldn't be a Verona chapter without her dad, uh, 
rearing <laughs> his head, I suppose. Um, but luckily, because of the distance, he is just relegated to text message this time. But somehow that makes it even more ominous. Like something even worse has happened. I love how he's like, I might need you to come home. Like it's a, just that it was amazing how it's so perfectly written that one text just made me so angry. Like, mm. what does he need her to come back for? Like, this is bullshit. Like, well, he, he does need her, like, emotionally because he relies on her as an emotional outlet, which is the problem. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's no way. So Verona basically sends him, like, a connection blocker to make this go away. And it's just, it's been such a recurring thing in this story that, like, you're basically taking out attention debt when you yeah. do that. Yeah. And, like... I'm pretty convinced at this point that Verona's just going to start taking out a bigger and bigger. Like this is her student loans uh, for the Blue Heron Institute. She, <laughs> yeah, they don't have to pay tuition, but they do have to pay tuition in terms of texting connection blockers to their parents. Yeah, or well, just Verona in particular. Like because her dad's so dependent on her, he's going to fight it the most, and yeah. I have a feeling she's going to keep pushing it, especially while she's loving it here. And it's I, it seems quite likely to me that this will continue to grow as we're here, and like halfway through the summer. Her dad's just going to show up and shit's going to hit the fan. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, I suspect this text is indicating that shit has hit the fan with Verona's dad. Like, yeah, but she's going to keep putting it off and like everything we've learned. Oh, yeah. It's going to get worse and worse. Yeah. Is, is that like, yeah, you're just, you're just building it up and pushing it further and further back and making it worse as you do so. I, I morbidly curious to see what it's like when it blows up. It's going to yeah. be. It's going to be fun to read and also awful. Yep. Can't wait. Um, <laughs> that's the end of our discussion of 4.5. Uh, let's get into the extra material, which is bedtime reading. Uh, Verona gets some textbooks that we saw last chapter, and this chapter we just get to read them. Yeah, I think we've mentioned this, but like such a testament to this world that I was like, fuck yeah, textbooks. Hell yeah, textbook time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Wish I could have um, gone into like real university with this level of enthusiasm. <laughs> well, uh, interestingly, <laughs> something that is fairly consistent with the books in the other verse is that, you know, they're all written with um, like very personal stories woven into them in a very yeah. interesting way. It's never just like the, a flat textbook that is dispersing knowledge. It's, you know, uh, you know what it reminds me of is the way that, you know, when you look up a recipe online, it always starts with some paragraphs about like, oh, this is my grandmother's favorite Doritos style nachos <laughs> or whatever, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's the personal story and backstory that, that leads to the understanding of this knowledge, which I think is great for us as readers, but it's also a really interesting way of delivering this information because like humans have this thing where we love stories, right? Like if a knowledge, if a piece of knowledge, a fact is delivered to us with a story surrounding it, we're just going to remember it more. And I think <laughs> that's a really interesting way to deliver knowledge in universe as well as um, as to us as the readers. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I wonder if it gets annoying though, because like that that bugs me to no end with the online recipes thing. Like I understand yes, it's, true. For, it's for search engine optimization or something. Like, I'm so sick of wanting a recipe and I have to scroll through your fucking life story for five minutes to get to the recipe. I wonder yeah. if that's how experienced practitioners feel about these textbooks. Like, it's like <laughs> oh, I have to skip to chapter Filter four. Filter all this out, yeah. To stop learning about your, your grandma being imprisoned by a gnarling. Like, ugh. Um, <laughs> get to the, you know, tell us how long it's going to take in the oven. <laughs> um, I, I, I do agree that. Like, it's, it's very fun. Like, if this was just written as a textbook, with like lists and stuff it would be a little more dry but like you know for this first book it opens with this bloody grim 
fairy tale that we already talked about about someone being enslaved by a a fairy-esque like gnarling and yeah i I mean it's basically the plot to stardust um Mm. is the story it's different but like it's very similar to stardust um yeah like it it makes it so much more fun to engage with as a as a reader Mm. yeah definitely such a fun story it's like a mini interlude Mm. um so yeah we we dive into this first book here which is a book on enchantment and crafting yeah and so i want to make sure i fully get this because i don't know if i 100 percent understood it so like the the author sets up this difference between practice and skill mm. and pra- practice is about getting better and repeating stuff basically refining those grooves in reality that practitioners use to to do magic mm. whereas skill is more i don't know if i fully got it my understanding at this point is that skill is like shaping yourself to be better at pushing through those grooves like mm. like because the book focuses on say others that are natural craftsmen and, and sort of saying like how you can get that so it's like it, it's it's becoming someone who is the spirits are more likely to let you push along those grooves as opposed to having yes. bigger grooves to push through it's, it's sort of my understanding yeah I, that was kind of my understanding too um I, I don't know it's really like it'll be really interesting to see because it is that somehow linked to, you know, obviously we have the Kenneteers and they're wild practitioners. They're going to be different. Everyone's excited to see how they go as students. And here we have this 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 uh, author who was was raised by these these uh, other people. And when they joined a circle, they were different. And I wonder if that's going to map to what we should expect out of the Kenneteers. Like they're not going to mm. get they're not going to get as much out of the structured uh, practices and learning from the school. Like they, they're going to have to put their own twist on it to succeed yeah yeah interesting yeah because obviously the second book chosen here is very explicitly tying into some stuff with verona (laughs) and i guess i hadn't really asked myself the question of what is this first book trying to tell us um but i like that this is this is the way of it tying back yeah also i looked up the the the, like symbol that's used on the thing because they use Mm -hmm. the cross of the eighth sun i was curious to, to look up what that is took a mm-hmm. bit of digging it's it's also called the millstones cross and and so like being associated with like millers and, and millstones it's like right you know associated with like processing grain and stuff so like i love that that's the symbol they use to treat the these objects as you're sort of mm. trying to enchant them because mm. like something we're going to skip over as we're talking about this is like we, we can't just recount all the details like um but as we sort of touched on in the last episode like sometimes we weirdly have to skip over bits even if we like them just because it doesn't translate to our, our podcast format and like this is one mm. like we we can't just sit here and talk about the ins and outs of tempering because that would be boring yes. to listen to um yeah but it was fascinating to read and and like seeing these things like this cross and how it's used in that tempering and sort of learning about how you know it, it relates to the hallow stuff nicolette was talking about like enchantment <laughs> is basically just about slowly slowly sort of imbuing these things with a certain energy yeah uh, we do kind of walk the line between um not wanting to just turn into an audiobook where we're reading the chapters out <laughs> but this is a really great like i love these magical textbooks they're always so much fun so just go reread it it's worth it you know <laughs> yeah um and the oh, second so mm. little little side note um so like you know how I said it was like the millstones cross and like obviously that's associated with like like again like you know yeah. it, it it it's it's all about grinding like a millstone right like slowly grinding this stuff down and it's like you're almost yeah. doing the opposite with enchanting right like you're 
it's it's a gr- i think they use the word grind in in the thing. yeah you know it's like it's like grinding in the rpg sense like you right you're sort of slowly putting experience points of a certain kind into these objects to enchant them mm. um so the the second book that verona gets uh is a lot more worrying i would say uh it is a <laughs> book about uh though it's called quasi a book about the the kind of creatures that blur the line between human and other and she gets this book and she turns straight to the how to diy section <laughs> um what i what i love about this as well is like so the first bit that we read and what i'm assuming here is that all the things we read in this extra material is the stuff that verona was reading Um, yes and so basically this book opens with a summary of the chapters it's like in chapter one we will explore this in chapter two we will explore this Mm -hmm. and then it gets to chapter three and so chapter three is uh we will explore the ways you can turn yourself other make sure you are either advanced or have read chapter one first and then the text basically immediately skips to chapter three. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, Verona, like you just got told you need to read chapter one. You know, you're not advanced. Why are you skipping? <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, like it's clearly signaling to us. Verona has this book for one reason and one reason. only, Right. Um, yes. And luckily, Lucy's <laughs> not asking about it yet. Uh, yeah. Yet. Yeah. We'll see. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's rough. I, like, Verona, come on, you don't need to do this. You're already turning into a practitioner. That's enough. So, um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I but, mean, mm, oh, um, I, I was just going to say, like, I, I mean, you know, this has been her plan for the whole time. Like, I can't. True. She does have the resources I, I'm, I'm now to, to do pop, it. Uh, yeah, as you said, it'll be interesting to see if this place can turn her around on it. But um, I'm interested enough in it narratively to support it from the you're not actually real perspective. <laughs> Mm. like you know from a from a doyalistic perspective i'm like yes do it mm. Mm. yeah we'll see uh yeah i don't know i i'm not gonna harp on it too much because she's uh it's clearly not just some idle thought that she's had once like this is something that she's gotten to the point where she's really starting to seriously look into it and consider it so we'll see um ha- having said that the end of this book is Sorry, the end of this book, the end of this in fiction chapter section of the book is um, <laughs> is uh, basically 100% hinting to us, hey, this is what's going to happen in the future, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I is... feel like I've almost unanimously heard everyone respond to the last paragraph of this with, okay, so this is probably what we're doing. Yeah, this is what we're going to see in somewhere between four, uh, two to maybe five chapters. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, like... I'm excited to see it because I think it's going to be Verona going on a journey into her own soul, which is going to be really interesting. And I know that something that's going to happen is she's going to have to fight some kind of representation of her father. And that's going to be incredibly cathartic and fun. So I'm, I am excited for that. But yeah. Yeah. We, we will see. I, I think not even cause it won't be fighting her, her dad. It will be fighting her perceptions of her dad mm. um, and her relationship with him. Which yes. Her internalized version of her dad. Yeah, or not not even just that, like how how she interacts with him more than just like how she perceives him. I'd say like it's gonna be it's gonna be all about like the the trying to f- suppress the emotions stuff. Yeah. I, w- I would guess, but um, yeah, I'm uh, it's so far like this is obviously like I think everyone's response to reading this was like, oh, we're gonna see that. I think part of it is because everyone's like, what a brilliant narrative device, like hopping into your own psyche, um, and like literally exploring like self, um, yeah. 
it's obviously going to be like a very fun thing to read um mm. I especially like it because that's a bit of a trope in like sci-fi things is to like hop into people's minds and it's always it, it's always in in sci-fi and fantasy it's like oh it's a um you know very abstract place like whole, endless halls of corridors with with doors yeah. that you know go to like some abstract and like i always i particularly hate it in sci-fi because it doesn't make sense sort of scientifically but this is a world that is built on being an english major so like yeah like the way spirits work i'm just absolutely like well yeah of course it's going to be a really abstract symbolic place yeah inside your brain um, exactly inside your, inside your head like i can't I, I i'm so excited for it because this is the world that should be doing it because it totally makes sense. yes yeah 100 percent um yeah, I'm excited for that. I think there's it's going to be so cool. There's going to be so much in it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, although we shouldn't like reject. I, I, I thought it was super interesting the other ways you could do this. So, so there were this is there were four ways given that you can sort of turn yourself a bit other. Um, yes. There was the visceral one where you just uh, eat some special concoctions and um, we call it know, the brain method. Uncomfortable time. Yep. Yep. There was like blotting yourself ap- apart, like bit by bit. Um, mm-hmm. then, um, there was like doing like, uh, oh, that's right. It was like doing stuff periodically. Like basically, you know, I, I got like werewolf vibes werewolf off this vibes. one. Like turn yeah, yourself 100%. into a bit of a wolf. You know, on um, a full moon. Set up a ritual yeah, so that, yeah, exactly. you know, you, you form a pattern around turning into a wolf on the full moon or whatever, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, after a while that just becomes, it happens basically on its own. Um, yep. And then there was this last one, which is basically going in and doing like soul-based surgery on yourself. <laughs> um, I, especially what I think is interesting about these is like, I feel like these four kind of map to ways to take care of yourself. I've only just sort of thought of this. So it's, it's not the most fleshed out metaphor. So it could be totally wrong. But like, you know, it's like if you're trying to get out of a funk or get out of depression, it's it's like, you know, like changing your diet. It's like that first one. Um, mm. And then like taking better care of yourself like like dressing yourself up a bit like is is sort of how i'd relate to that other one like you know at, at least when i'm going through a bit of a funk it's because i'm just sitting around wearing ugg boots and tracksuit pants and if i dress up a bit like it, it makes you feel better yeah um then like the periodically thing like, like building habits and, and stuff like you know just getting out and, and doing things regularly mm. uh, is very important um and then like you know i guess soul surgery maybe that's like therapy or that sort of thing mm. so like this is a very last minute idea, but sort of mapping these four things into like aspects of self-improvement, which is maybe mm. a bit more of a positive spin on them. Yeah, it's like the opposite than, um, of what we've they usually are. had. For... <laughs> well, maybe 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 that's why they map because you're kind of going the other way here. Or, yeah. Um, you know, maybe maybe this isn't so cut and dry, black and white, like bad to to turn other like this, depending on how. You... I, I don't know. Be interesting to see yeah, if that I goes. Like Maybe that. I'm... It's not even the opposite. That's not the right wording. It's doing the same thing, but for a purpose of improvement. And that's not even saying that becoming another isn't necessarily an improvement. It's just, yeah, I, I like that. Well, I really maybe, like that. maybe like I, I'm calling it like the four ways to self improve. But like the the reason these are the four things that you sort of use to self improve is, is because like that's the context they're explained in. Like nobody says, yeah, hey, if you want to make yourself feel terrible, make sure you have a bad diet make sure like, like nobody's framing it that way but it's like you know these are the these are sort of four ways to change your you know relationship with yourself and with your life um and, yeah and so of course that's the four ways you can start to make yourself more other yeah um 
And with that, that's the end of our, our uh, bonus material here. Um, before we wrap up the episode, though, let's dive into some predictions that were left in our Pale Predictor app, which you can find the link to uh, in, the, uh, in the show notes down below. Yes. Elliot, do you have a prediction that you really like that you want to pull out? Yeah, uh, I picked out one from Megafire, uh, mm-hmm. who has predicted that Miss and or Charles were actually co-founders of the Blue Heron Institute or at least involved in the slaying of this godling um, that gave Alexander and the others their power. Mm. Um, I, I'm not sure like, I fully buy this, but like it would certainly explain how Miss knew so much about like the Blue Heron Institute and what was going on mm. there. Um, yeah. I mean, Alexander didn't seem to know who she was, so um, maybe it was either like pre her getting lost, or like maybe she was a finder or something, or maybe it's coming from Charles because uh, Alexander honed in on Charles being there pretty pretty soon. Um, and I think, or it, maybe it, may, maybe the practitioner that got lost when Miss got out was there or something. You know, like it's uh, not yeah. Miss, but yeah. Anyway, well, because we talked so much about how like, the things on the Forest Ribbon Trail were powered by Avery, so if Miss was powered yes. by that practitioner, by that practitioner, um, exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting idea. I, I think it'd be cool if it was Charles, just from the perspective of like if we're still viewing Charles through this bit of a metaphor of like he's an ex-con who's getting like oppressed by the system for like a small mistake he made years before. Um, seeing how his work was sort of erased from the history books of this prestigious institution i think would sort of fit into that like they would downplay the involvement of yeah. somebody who became forsworn um, yeah so I, I think there's yeah i i don't, I don't know how specifically i i want to get behind megafire's exact predictions but I, I feel like there's actually something here like there's some interesting stuff to play with there. thematically i think there's a lot that would make sense yeah. there yeah definitely cool um, I also pulled out a theory, which was by a user called Walter, everyone's favorite Muppet. <laughs> um, and uh, Walter's theory, you know, if I were you, Elliot, I would staple your socks to your ankles because they're going to be at risk of getting knocked off by this. I, um, so to, to give context to the weird shit Ruben's saying right now, uh, <laughs> this prediction opened with uh, that it was going to hopefully knock our proverbial socks off. And, uh, and it did. It was funny. It, my socks were thoroughly knocked off. I, I think what's funny is the second I read that <laughs> sentence, I basically moved on to the next one because I knew that you were going to pull this one out, so I didn't need to worry. <laughs> it's so galaxy brain. As, <laughs> as soon as been... I saw a prediction being like, I'm going to knock your socks off, I was like, I, this is a Ruben one. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, for as the story, like, as we kind of the story solidifies and we know where it's going, the galaxy brain predictions have been becoming less and less, and I really hate that. So I'm I'm so glad that Walter <laughs> brought this one in. Um, so okay, okay, <laughs> it's the kind of one where you don't even really know where to start. All right, so the Kennetiers awakened as, and they're kind of awakened as a group, right? Yeah. Um, and they there have been instances that Walter points out of them starting to act more and more in unison. One that Walter points out is um, the Kenneteers, when they're chasing down Melissa, they were meant to call John, but uh, I think it's Avery who thinks something along the lines of, none of us called it out to John, even though we were meant to, by some unspoken agreement, right? Like um, Walter kind of points out as an example of them just kind of acting in unison without even needing to like organise it or think about it. Um, And Walter then extrapolates this out to think that they awakened together and they've started acting kind of as one. Walter thinks that due to the forces on the universe that kind of keep them together and, and, and keep them 
united, that's going to eventually merge them into one entity. So it will start with them beginning to think as one, manifesting uh, as a telepathic ability, tel you know, communicating telepathically. And finally, the Kennetiers will merge into one single unified entity and the finale of pay will be from the perspective of all three Kenneteers at once. Um, yeah. Also, Walter says that Brie will eat a brownie, which I don't think is necessarily <laughs> related to the first major prediction, but just a little one to sneak, it, sneak in there. <laughs> I, I think it was funny. So I, when I initially came up with the term Kenneteers, it was meant to be a Musketeers thing, but I think everyone's latched onto it as more of a like Planeteers thing. Planeteers, yeah. Um, so this is obviously them forming uh, the Captain Planet. Captain of, Planet, exactly Kennet, right. Um, yeah. Captain Kennet. Captain uh, Kennet. I, I mean, what, what's funny is like, I okay, I, I'm sorry, Walter. I don't necessarily believe that they're going to How turn into. Dare you? <laughs> into Captain Kennet. Um, yeah. Okay. I did notice though after I read this prediction, Walter's right. There were a bunch of references in these two chapters to just how in sync the mm -hmm. three Kennetys are, and I don't know how. I don't know if those have been there the whole story, but I, I think I, I think Walter has maybe latched on to something like. The, but there's maybe something we're going to explore with like how in sync these three are and, and whether there's magic helping with that or not. Um, again, I, I don't think they might go full, full uh, Captain Kennet, but I, I think there's, I think there's something to this one. Well, I didn't expect you to say that. <laughs> um, just that note, like yeah. they, they are definitely starting to communicate more or, or mm -hmm. just like all, all make the same decisions and assumptions without needing to check with each other. I think yeah. that actually is something that is happening now that it's been pointed out to me. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see what that means or why it's happening. And the ultimate end state of that is, as Walter says, they're going to merge into some kind of chimera with the head of a cat, fox, and deer altogether. Um, <laughs> anywho, those are some pale predictions uh, from our community. So thank you, Megafire and Walter, for those. Um, now, it's been a while since we've done one, but we thought it's time that we bring back a discussion question. We yes. want to give people the opportunity to uh, let, their, let their minds roam free and come up with all kinds of crazy, kooky shit. And so we've got a discussion question here for you. Um, it revolves around the idea of an Alcazar, which takes a person or an object and turns it into a kind of 3D space. I thought this was such a cool idea that I'd be interested to hear what kind of Alcazar things people could come up with. So here's the discussion question. Alcazar, a person or other, what does it look like? Um, yeah, I, like, uh, I think this is exciting. Like, because you could do a real place, like, or, sorry. Yep. A real thing. Well, like, a real thing or person, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know, what do the, what do the royal jewels in England look like as a place? Mm. Or, um, like, you could do a character, like, what does Snowdrop look like as an Alcazar, right? Like, that mm -hmm. would be fun. So, I mean, go go nuts. Like, pick whatever person or object uh, you like and turn them into an Alcazar and let us know what it what it what you think it might what it look looks like. like yeah you can leave the answers to those uh to that discussion question in our discussion thread which will be linked down in the show notes below uh yes you can also find us on twitter uh at media md podcast there's live reads there notices on all sorts of stuff go check it out yep um you could also check out our twitter which is I mean, okay, so it's pale reflection, it's, but it's that's still what I just, at media. That's what I just said. Oh, sorry, did you? Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, staying in. Sweet um, revenge. No, I definitely, I definitely did this in a deep. You did. I remember once. you did it like four months ago, and it was the funniest thing that's ever sweet happened. Sweet revenge. <laughs> you can go check. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can go check out uh, all of the great content on the Doof Media Network by going to our website, which is doofmedia.com. You can check out all the great uh, shows there. Um, like what? What's a good show there, Elliot? Oh, um, the Doof Game Club. Cast? Is that? Oh, okay. Yeah. I was good. Well, Game Club comes out about 12 hours after this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's us covering Slay the Spire. So come check it out. That'll be fun. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this right when it came out um, and you quickly become a patron, you'll have the opportunity to vote on next month's game. Yes. Next month's game. Uh, the vote is still open. I'm very excited to see where it goes because I'm excited to. Uh, the choices are great. Um, if you want, you can support the Doof Media Network by going to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Doof Media. You can, uh, yeah, give us some money to keep doing the shows that we like to do. And you'll also get some perks depending on the level that you reward it. Uh, yes. back us at, so that's fine. if you join at the ten dollar or above doof troop tier uh you get access to bonus content so these are shows that are exclusive to those patrons um matt and his brother do one called freeman bros where they just like explore a variety of intellectual topics topics um, yeah uh, that's fun uh matthias and jarvis have just started one called doof overs uh and, which is basically them defending anime that matt and scott didn't like on the doof yeah, cast sorry uh, when i first heard of this i thought that it was a play on crossover but it's a play on do-over yeah right that only literally occurred to me today because <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking about it and i was like oh do it like they're doing they're redoing the episode that they yeah. did yeah basically um, they're they're yeah, all, all the anime that Matt and Scott didn't like are because because those two are proud anime fans. They're actually I think the sorry, I think the term is proud anime nerds. Okay. Yeah. Um yeah, so gotcha. And there might be there might be more uh shows joining that ten dollar tier in the yeah. near future. Yeah, uh, it's it's good. One of the best things about it is you can subscribe and then you you get like an a podcast feed that you can add to your podcasting device yeah. and you'll just it's like a podcast of bonus content every so often. It's great. Yeah, um, so uh, check it out. Yeah, well, while you're on Patreon, actually, why don't you check out this other cool Patreon that is patreon.com forward slash Wabo. He's this uh, crazy cat that writes all these cool stories, including Pale. So, um, yeah, well, it's important that you go there and you leave money for him and you ask you you know ask him, you leave some money and you express your thanks, but you don't ever acknowledge him in any way. If you do that, <laughs> he'll kill off your favorite character. So yeah. don't acknowledge him in any way. Just go in, leave the money, and get out. <laughs> I think that's your best one yet. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, the show is over. <laughs>